Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Have you heard of Nordic Knots? The Scandinavian rug company that has become the insider brand gracing some of the most beautiful homes around the world? With rug designs by some of the world's leading designers and a signature collection of wool and jute rugs in modern colors? But Nordic Knots is not just about great design. Their mission is to make quality rugs that last, with no compromises. Goodweave certified, handmade pieces woven in all natural materials. At NordicKnots.com, it's easy to find a rug that's just right. A curated collection in lots of colors and sizes to choose from. Even custom sizes are possible. So, whether you're the type who loves the understated elegance of their luxury essentials or the bold statements from their top designer collaborations, you can't really go wrong. Oh, and don't tell anyone, but right now, you can get a free sample with the code INNERCIRCLE. NordicKnots.com Welcome into the Yachts and Audibles podcast. It's Wednesday. I believe last week around this time, we were recapping the end of the men's basketball season today. Myself, Eric Scopel, and Jared Mack will be doing the same on the women's side. Jared, thanks for joining us. How are we doing? I'm doing well. How are you, Eric? I don't know. We don't usually do greetings or that kind of like check-in thing. I know. We so just, I just jump right into it. I thought we'd try it today just to see how it felt. Um, I don't know. I did feel? Ah. Wasn't a rousing success, but you know I'm open to do it. We'll give it another try another time. Um, no, but we're here yeah. today. <laughs> we're here Might today well. to uh, to talk a little bit about how the Oregon women's basketball program is doing. I think this was a uh, just to start off the top here. Uh, probably the first sentence is the most obvious. It was a really disappointing season. Um, expectations were probably maybe higher externally than they should have been in retrospect, especially once you saw Sedona go down and, and, and miss the season. And then the genocide component, once you entered conference play with nine players, another team had been doing well, we expectations got really high and they just completely crumbled. Um, but still, this is a team that's picked to finish, I believe second in the PAC 12 this year, a team that at least returned a couple of key players that were starters in the backcourt brought in some highly regarded players. And again, I think in retrospect, if you would have said, okay, well, they're basically bringing in three new starters, two of which are true freshmen, the third of which basically has four years of basketball playing experience, you could kind of understand like, yeah, there might be some ups and downs. They're relying on a lot of young players. Um, so all of that like has to be kind of weighed in on the calculus, but I don't think there's any way to argue like, oh, no, this was not a disappointing or concerning season. No, like this is a year where, again, they started 12 and three, and then completely fell off. I don't even know what the term is, like two and 10 after that. And just the whole season, it feels like it's, it's gone away, including nine straight losses. And then they kind of gave you some encouraging moments in the postseason. At the end of the year, finished six and two, a lot of really big wins to start the WNIT at home. They beat the Arizona schools pretty decisively at home. So there's some kind of nice moments. So kind of what maybe this team could look like, you know, and like in, in some of the best of its kind of versions. But I think still all in all, you come away going like, boy, this is not, I think, where most people anticipated Oregon would be. 
um, after Sabrina's career came to a close, a close, uh, you know, three years removed now. And I think the direction doesn't feel great either. And you can get, again, we can choose to be optimistic about the development of young players, but you need to see it. And there's a possibility, and we'll get to some of this at the end here, Jared, and I'll let you talk because I've done a lot of it here. Um, but, you know, the, the development of young players, but there might also be some older players that, who knows, we don't really have clarity of what their plans are going forward. So this is really a, a program kind of in a weird spot right now, and, and we're kind of hitting you on the first day that the season's really kind of over, over, it feels like, or one of those first days. So um, I don't know. How's everything kind of hitting you? I mean, yeah, they're in a very strange spot, just like you said. Um, they got a lot of question marks around the younger players. They got a lot of question marks around the older players. Um, in some strange parallel universe, there's a world where like Oregon has zero players returning next season, but <laughs> I don't think that's going to be what's happening in this universe. Um, they, they at least have some building blocks, though. They have some pieces that they can go into next season and say, okay, we can build around these X amount of players. Um, Philly Che, uh, Grace Vensel, and Chance Gray, those are your preliminary building blocks, and you, know, you want to use those, those players properly. Um, but, yeah, like you like basically overall mentioned, it was a really rocky season. You go back to that 12-3 and 3 start, which, gosh, feels like, feels like forever ago that it happened because at the time it was like, how, like, look at this uh, 12 and three start and their losses were to tournament teams and to tournament teams who uh, in, in Ohio state's case made a deep tournament run. Um, and then the conference play hit and it just, I, it was a whole conglomeration of things where shots weren't falling. Defense was, was kind of being played at points, kind of not being played at other points. Um, Dramatic comeback losses, dramatic blowouts, dramatic uh, have the lead late into the game and then completely see it squander in like the final three and a half minutes of a game loss. Um, it, they, any way that you could lose, Oregon women's basketball found a way to lose it during that that ten and or that two and ten stretch. Uh, it was just it was a tough scene to watch. And you mentioned how different it is to three years post Sabrina. I think it's a wonderful way to describe it. It's not, it's not the same product on the court, which I get is really, really difficult to do when you have, you know, three first round picks on one team to the WNBA and Satya Savali and Sabrina and Ruthie Hebert. But it's a, I feel like at this point, there's a different level. There's a different standard that uh, people expect Oregon women's basketball to play to. And it just wasn't that this season. Well, the baseline is making the NCAA tournament. And that's not very, very yeah. And that's not an expectation that we on the exterior are setting. That's one that they've set internally and made very clear and that they want to win the conference. I mean, that was a thing that was mm -hmm. being talked about after they started two and one. I think they maybe were three and one in conference play to open. There was some like, oh, yeah, we, we're going to try to win conference. And then they lost some games. Like, oh, well, it's going to be hard to get back in the race. Like, But that was a those were it feels like forever ago because they ended up finishing with a losing record in conference and finished tied for eighth and with a nine seed in the conference tournament. But. Um, you know, there were utterances, at least, in the, you know, in, in January and February, maybe not even in February, but in January, at least, of like, hey, maybe we can push for something here. And, and then it just completely fell apart. And so um, I wanted to get to some of the um, the hows and the whys, maybe, of this, or at least as best we can. Um, you know, you, you, you look through this team here, I think, and there were some very, very strange shooting splits. And I, I you know, I know mm -hmm. I've we, we talked about this in the pod and. Um, 
you know, I've written about it a little bit on Dove Run Duck Territory, but, you know, you look at where Tahina Pow Pow was during that run, and I don't think it, it's really any um, surprise that you would struggle to win games when, and I've got some advanced stats pulled up here, and her usage rate is, you know, pretty high on this team, right? One of the primary ball handlers, balls in her hands a lot. Um, and uh, her, 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 her offense just completely fell off a cliff, and then this, the team's offensive rating completely fell off a cliff. If you, I've got, again, I've got this pulled up here, but there was a stretch here where outside of this incredible, by the way, kind of tucked in the middle here you forget about is this Utah game where I forget, Jared, were you with me on that game or was that Jackson? That was where they scored 92. Uh, and, and, and it, it, no, I was not there for that one. Okay. But I remember it and being like, holy cow. It was this. It was this game. A shooting performance. Yeah, it was this game where Utah was incredible offensively. Oregon was absolutely like was probably their best game of the year offensively, and actually, it pretty much bears out. It's, sorry, I just was looking at the numbers. Yeah, it's like it's their best mm-hmm. offensive rated game in conference, all of conference play. Um, but around it are this these absolutely miserable showings um, against Stanford and Colorado and USC and UCLA and Washington State, and then against Washington, yeah. and, and all of those are losses. And then the and then that's where we start to see kind of the the, the season flip where Tahina for I mean kind of feels like out of nowhere and she's now gone on and we can talk about some of the whys there but then she flips the switch and they go on this run but I think you saw how important you know in that run you know it it was for a team that just didn't have a lot of options offensively to have as many options going and when one of those key players was really off for a game and again the stats were were pretty miserable I think she was shooting eighteen percent from three. Um, you know, turning the ball over, scoring like six points per game after being like a 12 to 13 point score before that finished the season on a crazy tear, as we've talked about. But, you know, I just think you saw kind of the limitations of this roster where if if one of those primary three with Rogers, Van Sluten and Pow Pow weren't on their games, it was a problem. And then what really hit was then Van Sluten gets hurt. And now two of your three aren't there. And at a certain point, India is kind of looking around going, well, she's got a bad ankle. We don't know what's going on with Tahina in terms of the mental part. The, the shot's just not there. The confidence is gone. And I think that had to be a really tough stretch for everybody on that team because then you're turning and going, who are we relying on? And the answers are Chance Graves, a true freshman who had moments of brilliance, but as you expect with freshmen, some moments that weren't quite as good. Philly Che, who's a great defensive big and good, good rebounder, but gosh, is she not very good offensively and you can't really look to her for offense other than finishes around the rim. And even sometimes that was spotty. Uh, and then the bench that was really up and down with Hurst being hot for a month here and then terrible for a month there. And it's kind of the same thing with Hanson, who was more consistent, but never super consistent. So, you know, it was just a, a, you could imagine where the issues came from. And it was strange watching like Kelly Graves team struggle so much offensively for a run there. Cause that is very much not the issues any Kelly Graves teams that I've ever covered have had really up until basically these last couple of years. So, um, you know, I think this is a team we thought was going to be built because of, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's surprising. We, we, this team was going to kind of go as far as its guards would let them. And when they were winning games, their guards were really good. And when they weren't losing games, their guards, or at least one of them and a couple of them in particular, weren't very good. Yeah, oh, 100%. And you go back to that, that whatever, whatever that was, that seven-game losing streak in the middle of the season. Nine. Um, and they're nine, nine, nine games. So, Wait, just, just, three, six, seven. I'm looking at oh no it's uh it's uh nine a or nine of ten they had one win and Cal tucked in there, um, but I'm looking at their offensive rating numbers and like you were mentioning they're just 
they're yeah. just miserable. You know, 79.4 and when yep. you, 100 is like standard, by the way, for those listening. 79.4, 76.8, 79.7, 79.2. Like when you're in the 70s, consistently in the 70s, that is horrendous. Um, and I, I think this this recent stretch, this WNIT stretch, um, really was kind of propelled by their defense too. They turned that around, which seemingly was, no, it wasn't seemingly, it was very surprising because, you know, during that, that losing stretch, they were at, they were allowing, you know, 91, 90, 140 to that Utah, 103 to UCLA, 101.5 points per hundred possessions um, during that losing streak. And then in the WNIT, again, albeit against good. inferior competition, but, yeah. Good enough competition. I mean, compared to the Pac-12, I, I granted the Pac-12. These are these are still a, these are at least teams that had winning records in their regular season and Correct. were winning yeah. winning teams. These aren't scrub teams that were bad in their conference. These are teams that were like second or third in their in smaller conference. Right. They made they made yeah. the WNIT. Like I'm yeah. just comparing them to the Pac-12 teams, sure. which was a really good conference this season. But anyways, here are, you know their defensive rating against Arizona was eighty four point three, which is a real Pac twelve team. Uh, Arizona State sixty six point seven, Washington the first time around was eighty three point three, and then North Dakota State, Rice, and San Diego all were held under eighty seven, and two of them were held under eighty. Like that's really good defensively, and I mean we I, I feel like we should jump into the the Tahina Pow Pow stuff because yeah, that was if if her monumental jump into becoming like what she was before in her career and becoming this absolute knockdown shooter that physically couldn't miss it seemed like for two weeks straight you know if that comes earlier in the season and then they kind of figured things out before that terrible stretch run i'm not sure where this team would be because that was the biggest issue was you know your guard play like you said eric was was extremely inconsistent and Indy Rogers had to do so much during a time where it seemed like no matter how much she did, they just weren't going to get a win because she wasn't going to get any help. And, you know, she kept Indy Rogers kept them in a lot of close games because of her play, but they needed somebody like Tahina to step up or Grace Van Sluten or Chance Gray. And, and, you know, it's harder to rely on true freshmen. It's easier to rely on Tahina Palpal, but she just couldn't hit a shot for forever. And you look at her true shooting numbers now, it's, it's incredible. They're, they're pretty impressive. <laughs> it's incredible. And yeah. It's like, yeah. you know, her effective field goal percentage was almost 55%. She finished the year shooting uh, 42% from deep. Like, I'd love to know what those numbers were before that stretch run during the end of the season because I, the, the, it wasn't even close. I, she improved by close to 10 percentage points. It, it, it was, it was probably, yeah. I'm talking three point percentage. I don't, I didn't look at the, mm-hmm. the true field goal percentage stuff, but no, it, it was 33, 34 range. Cause I remember looking and it was pretty comparable to what it had been um, the, the first two years combined. And then this last, that last run, it's like just blistering. And you're right. Like, you know, cause if you look at the season, I, wrote, I did a, a pretty ex- extended story and I remember the splits there where she had a run where she averaged about 12 points per game on like pretty good through a pretty good shooting. It was like 45 from the field, 38 from three. And then she had that run, which we talked about, where it was like six points per game with 25% from the field, 18% from three. And then I, I didn't, this was before the last couple of games, but at one point she was averaging like 21 points per game on like 58% shooting from the field, and like 67% shooting from three <laughs> over that extended stretch for she kind of started figuring it out. So, yeah, no, I mean, <clears throat> I think that's the thing that was was tough was, to your point, you do just wonder if she just carries out some level of 
a combination of the of the first and the and the, the third parts of the season in the second part. You know, if she's just kind of somewhere in between, they might have won mm-hmm. an extra three or four games, and and we're probably going at oh, least. Didn't live up to expectations, but at least they made the tournament. This is going to be good experience, and, and there's just a general more positive feeling around it. And again, I, I don't want to say I mean, I, I, it's pro- obviously way more nuanced and complicated than that, but to a certain point, yeah, like if they just would have been getting this type of production from her that they got at other parts in the season, the year goes differently. And then I think the other big one was Grace Van Sluten and, and just her just nagging injuries. Mm-hmm. Um, she finished non-conference play at this level where you were going like, Gosh, they're at least going to have a really marquee post presence all season. She was she scored. I think she had this run down the stretch there. I can pull it up. We're, we're against maybe you, maybe you can pull it up there, Jared. Her her close to yeah, finish, I got you. to finish non conference play, um, which also included I think maybe the Oregon State game. But she had a run there where she was scoring about 20, 26 points per game, uh, or twenty points, twenty six points, twenty four points, something like that, over like a three or four game stretch. Where you just thought, okay, wow, this is this is really encouraging. Like this is this is a star mm-hmm. kind of developing for us, um, and then it kind of flipped when she went down into the the desert. I don't know if the team ever really recovered from that trip because she gets hurt down there, um, you know, and and, and it comes back. And I think gives it, you know she plays through a bunch, which is a thing is really admirable, but just never really was the same until we got into the WNIT. You started seeing it, and of course in in the final game where they lose to Washington. Uh, she goes down with a hip injury and, you know, she doesn't end up being able to play at, at full strength. So um, do you have those splits at the end of non-conference? Because I, I wanted to show the disparity there because I know she, in conference play, she only averaged about 11 points per game. And this was somebody who had a run there to close non-conference where I was like, man, she's she's maybe going to be, maybe she's going to be the focal point offensively and not India because I think she was leading the team scoring through that point. Yeah, I don't have the splits, but I have like this five or six game stretch where she went bonkers. It started off with 10 points against Oregon State, which is always a tough matchup with her. But then she went for 26, for 13, 26, 29, 17, 4, clunker, 16 and 18 to begin conference play against Arizona State and Arizona. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, she just, it just, injuries finally kind of caught up to her and she yeah. just dropped off from there like 10 points, three points, a 20 point night, and then 11. 15, 16, 10, it, you know, it's a sharp contrast to what she was doing at the end of, of, of non-con play. I'm curious if you agree with this, Jared. Um, it, it felt like she was always going to have some issues going against bigger, longer, at more, maybe more athletic mm-hmm. interior players in terms of getting her, getting to her spots and, and, and getting looks she liked. I think she had a really hard time with the bad ankle because she had, I just don't know if she could elevate the way she needed to or felt as confident planting. And it just seemed like a lot of the times she'd turn and go up with it and there would be immediate contact. And it's like either the officials are going to call it or it's it's a shot that's not going to be remotely close or, or pretty low percentage. So, um, you know, there was a stretch that was, I think it was tough and that bore out, I think, in her, her field goal percentage during a run there where it was just like, okay, you, you don't know if she's going to go, you know, depending on the matchup, she can go score 20 points. But if it's a, against a longer, more athletic team, she has a really hard time. And I know Graves, Kelly has said a couple of times that one of the big things this offseason is going to be to get her healthy and to work on those ankles because she went through a lot physically this year. And, and um, again, it, 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 during a very similar stretch where Tahina was struggling, you also had Grace kind of going through this thing physically where she was in and out of the lineup, hardly practicing, 
when she was out there, it was again hit or miss. I think again, I think the matchups played a big role. I mean, if, if she had a little bit of a size advantage, she was fine getting the spots and scoring. But you know, I, I distinctly remember issues going against like USC and Arizona and even UCLA, where she just Oregon State in particular. Actually, that was a tough one too. But just where there's just she just has couldn't elevate over the size. So that's probably something she needs to work on in general. But I don't think the injury part helped. No, it definitely didn't help. And not only is it just elevation, but it's also acceleration too, to mm-hmm. try to get you know past the defender, which, you know, I would say she's kind of undersized, especially now at this point as a true freshman, but in general, a little bit undersized, you're playing the four, but when you have Philly next to her, it makes it total sense as, as something of a stretch for like an old school, like a, a LaMarcus, like someone who can hit a mid-range jumper, like Chris Bosch back in the day, who could was a stretch four, but not by today's standards. Um, but her acceleration and her lack of of real athleticism after that first initial ankle injury just kind of hindered her. She was more of a back to the basket per, a player, and which she can do, but only against certain competition. And you know, she had that mid range jump shot working every once in a while, specifically against like a two yeah. defense where she could just sit at the top of the zone. It was hit and miss, but it, it, it's hard. Hmm? I said, I was just, it was pretty hit and miss with that shot. It was it was very inconsistent. Yeah. Either she either she had it or it was a complete. It wasn't worth taking. Mm-hmm. And when she had it, it, it was great. It stretched the defense. Uh, it stretched out Oregon's offense, allowed the guards to kind of play through them. Um, and and it's just kind of tough when that jump shot isn't working, and then you really only have you you have two post bigs down there. This is a similar problem that uh, the men's team ran into, where the, there there isn't a lot of shooting out there, and you look at. Obviously, Tahina didn't shoot well. Uh, Indy Rogers was inconsistent from three. I know she finished 38 percent from the from the field, or excuse me, from behind the three point line. But then you have people like or players like Taya Hansen and Elise Hurst who really struggled from beyond the arc. But, um, you know, but, but the, specific. But the, the thing is that the numbers end up being pretty good, which is the wild thing when you look at it. It's well, like if you don't watch the games, it's like the, the numbers are pretty good. For some, right, but you know, at least Hurst was four for forty-two in, in Pac-12 play from deep. Right. Oh, I'm perfectly which, aware of that. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, not great. But yeah, towards the end of the season, it, like all the numbers kind of checked out. But during that losing streak, I mean, they couldn't hit anything. They like that was that was the biggest issue. Um, I mean, they shot thirty-six percent from against Stanford, thirty-five percent against Southern Cal, thirty-seven, thirty-seven, thirty-nine. In four straight losses on the road, I mean, that's just you, – you can't come back for them. 26% from deep, 23% from deep. Those numbers are just you, – you're never going to win a basketball game if you shoot like that. And especially when you only have, you know, Indy Rogers, who's really leading the show at that point during the season, good luck. And, you know, this this comes back to, to Grace where, you know, they, they needed her as another option if somebody else wasn't going to step up. And it's hard to rely on Chance Gray as somebody who can step up, who's, you know, ball handling needs to get better and just a shot making needs to improve in general. But for Grace, like those injuries, like we were saying, it just, you know, limited her offensive versatility, limited her athleticism, limited her jumping ability, limited her on defense as well. Um, and those yeah. are tough injuries to come back from. And then this goes into the point where they only had nine scholarship players to play. And if you take Grace out of the game because she's just too hurt, which certainly was an option and certainly was a possibility during this time, you have eight. And suddenly someone gets in foul trouble, you have seven. It's, it just wasn't great. 
And actually, one other thing I wanted to mention with the Grace thing, that just from a physical thing that I think so much of what made her successful early was her face-up game and her ability with one dribble mm-hmm. to kind of explode past the defender. And that was a part I also thought you kind of saw kind of disappear a little bit. I wanted to kind of acknowledge. Um, let's get a little bit into kind of what might be, <clears throat> sorry, what might be next or kind of what are some questions going into this offseason. Um, recording this Wednesday morning around 10. It was funny because I was messaging Jared and Matt about how, oh, the timing of this is going to work out great because we're going to be able to react to whatever the NDR Rogers news is uh, ends up being Tuesday evening because there's this WNBA deadline. And, you know, surely she'll have said something by by the time we record the podcast. And that'll be kind of the launching off point, I said, I think was the, the word I, I used to, to, for the off season of like, OK, this is the direction they're going. Well, didn't happen. Um, as far as we know, unless Jared, you can check socials to see if something's changed. But as far as we know, no, no news Nothing. from India. No news. And it signals one of two outcomes, which is unless she secretly told the WNBA and just hasn't made it public, she's probably going back to college. And in that case, she's either going to Oregon or she's going to look somewhere else. And um, I do think if she was entirely confident in her decision, she might have just announced it you know, already um, when she said that I'm not going to go into the WNBA, maybe she's deliberating. Maybe she's, maybe this is all for naught and she's not somebody who's going to use social media that way. And we'll just find out somewhere. Maybe Kelly Graves will have a press conference and just tell us, I don't know. Um, but sort of a weird dynamic here where I, again, I thought that we would be having a little bit more clarity around the team construction for next year um, going into this podcast. And we don't really have very much Jared. So um, like, I, I don't know. How, did you, what do you make of the fact that we we had a, a deadline there to determine? We sh- for those listening, there was a 5 p.m. deadline Tuesday for India to make an announcement um, in terms of if she was going to be entering the WNBA draft, and that deadline came and passed, and, and and there was no news. And as of again this recording, that continues to be the case. So it, again, it seems pretty clear she's not entering the WNBA draft. But where is she playing collegiately next year? Is the question. This is an interesting one because it's. I, I feel like it's it's a uh, it's a hard deadline. It's a five p.m. Pacific Standard Time deadline, and maybe she just hasn't announced publicly what she's going to do, and maybe she wants to keep that under wraps. But I feel like the WNBA would release another updated list of people who are entering the WNBA draft, and that hasn't happened yet. Oh, um, uh, we so, sh- we should we should note, Jared, that that the WNBA did release its list of about a hundred names yesterday, or seventy names, wherever right. it was, and and she wasn't included. Yeah, but that was that was before her deadline, so right. there's still the chance that they could release a, a new list with India Rogers on it. Sure. Uh, I don't anticipate that happening. I would say this favors Oregon that it's going longer than the specified deadline. Um, I, I think, I mean, you bring up a good point that she could just say like, all right, I'm going to what, I mean, she could also declare for the draft and then re- maintain college eligibility as well. So that's an idea she could do with Sedona Prince. I don't know if you saw this where she mm-hmm. declared for the draft and then also declared to enter the transfer portal, which, okay. That's it's, it's, it's an interesting move. I've never seen that one before, but um, yeah. that's certainly a possibility. I guess India could do that as well. Um, Oregon can't afford to lose her though. Like, it's, I think she was the best player on the team this past season, a year before that. Um, she's grown into this 
you know, potential first round draft pick. I think she was like a second round mock pick um, in the most recent WNBA draft mocks. And I, I still think that she's the most valuable player on this team. Um, I think that there could potentially be an issue with her and Tahina Pow Pow coexisting on the court next season. So maybe it's a, you know, if India comes back, Tahina might leave or the other way around uh, if Tahina stays and India might leave. So I, 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 there's just, just something something different about on the court stuff with those two. Uh, I just ne- I've never seen like it really coexisted for some reason, but I think if you're Oregon, I think you want her back. Um, I yeah, think th- well, this course. is, I guess, a similar, similar ish kind of issue as the men's team where you have Nafali Dante who could declare for the NBA draft or could come back to Oregon. And, you know, if he does come back to college, obviously if you're Oregon, you want him back, but um yeah, and it still has an opportunity to go play somewhere else. And I don't think that she would, you know, go back to, to play at USC or something like that. But um, it wouldn't surprise me if she did enter the transport that she would pick another Pac-12 school because she's that caliber of a player. Um, I think that that would just be a, a huge loss if she picks a different school uh, and obviously a big loss if she picks a WNBA. But that would, you know, progress her career. And that's exactly what you want to see out of out of her. She plays elsewhere. I would look back maybe more where she's from, which would be Texas, maybe some school mm-hmm. in Louisiana. Um, that makes sense. But we'll see what happens there. Again, I ultimately, I don't have any insight in terms of more than what we've shared um, about what may or may not happen. But as, as Jared said, I think, you know, it's funny because I had a couple of people pose this question for me in the last uh, couple of days of, okay, if you had a choice between hypothetically Tahina or India to build around, with the understanding that Tahina has two seasons, India has one, what what choice would you make? And it's it, it it's kind of tough. Like these are two pretty darn good players. And and again, I think the thing you I, I agree that they had a hard time coexisting. And actually, Jared, I think the thing that really made it tough was it not just that you had two undersized guards back there, but you had three that you were playing the bulk of minutes. And I think that's a tough mm-hmm. roster construction. And again, I for those listening that like. Maybe you're newish to women's basketball. I don't know if this is fair. I don't know if other people use this. I add six inches to a women's basketball player, and that gives you the equivalent to me, like a men's player. Like Oregon's backcourt would be the, the, you know, it would be the, you know, the the same as Dana throwing a six-one point guard out there with a six-three shooting guard and a six-three small forward. That's kind of what they were yeah. running. So that's a really small backcourt, and that's going to be a backcourt that you've, you're going to have at least one player out there who's going to be, you know defensively at a disadvantage just purely from a size perspective and maybe a couple um chance gray i think at least was a, such a darn good defender one of the best defenders honestly that the oregon has had in a while at least on the perimeter um so that helped a little bit but i i think that part was again going back a little bit to some of the wise that issues when you have three kind of undersized guards that you're playing basically 30 minutes a game each i think not basically they were that's that's a tough setup and so, but to the point I was, was kind of getting to a moment ago about the Tahina India thing, I will be very curious to see what happens with both because there is India has it sounds like a decision to make. Tahina was, I would say, certainly non-committal when media asked her uh, a couple of weeks ago about what she was thinking about for after the season. She said there was a lot to think about. So, like I, I think we're you're kind of just here waiting, and if if one of them lo- leaves. That really hurts. Both are really good players. I think you can you can sustain though and have a pretty darn decent roster next year if it's just one of them. If both leave, that's really hard, and that puts a ton of pressure on whatever you're going to get done in the transfer portal. 
Um, and it also puts even more pressure on the shoulders of these young guys because, again, I feel really good, I think, as most fans do probably about like, hey, if you had a young core of Chance Gray, Grace Friends-Luton, uh, Philly Che, uh, you know, Kennedy Basham, we saw some glimpses there that were at least, you know, she can, she defended the round the rim okay. You know, she's definitely not physically developed enough in a way. I mean, she gets pushed off her spot and ends up on the ground a lot. But, like, I think there's some really positive things that you saw there, and you can see the developmental traits if she can stay healthy. Um, but like what else is around this group is going to be the question. And, um, they bring, they have three prep players or yeah, three prep players kind of, cause one of them was already enrolled Sammy Wagner, but, uh, Sophia Bell, who was just playing in the McDonald's all American game yesterday, Sarah Rambus, and then kind of a cool story that'll be the fall of next year would be Bella Hamill. Who's a local kid was playing over at Lane community college. Um, Kelly Graves, one of his sons was the assistant coach over on the squad there and, uh, and said, Hey, this girl's pretty good. Kelly took a look and, and they've decided to bring her on. So, you know, a little bit of a local flavor there, but certainly not enough to you say, Hey, Oh, cool. They're done adding. And I think it was notable as right. well that Kelly, who a year ago, and we can get into some of this if we want really was hesitant to hit the portal too hard. Cause I don't think he wanted to, I think he kept saying cut end the cycle of turnover here because the last year they had all those players leave because they brought in some players. And there was just too many, you know, we use the term too many cooks in the kitchen, so to speak. And they wanted to end that. And this year it kind of bit him. He's, he used the Goldilocks uh, comparison of, hey, like we went with too big of a roster. It was, it was too much. We went too small of a roster. It was a problem. We got to find the middle number. So this offseason, they're going to be a little bit more active there. Um, Jared, what do you think our portal needs? If you Because Kelly said they want to add um, three for sure and maybe more. Um, some of this will be dependent upon Endia, Tahina, and, and I've been told that no one else is is like really a, a portal or a transfer possibility, but who knows? You never know. Things happen. Um, but like, what what do you think are some things that the Ducks need to find themselves in the portal? Are we assuming uh, that both India and Tahina are coming back, or are we assuming that one of them comes back? Well, if we assume one of them comes back, then I think, yeah, let's assume one of them comes back, then then that puts you in a spot where you're not having, well, let's just say this, if, if, if both of them leave, you are having to find a guard like one of them in the portal, and that's the very number, that's yeah. the top top piece absolutely. of, on, on the, and there are some good players in the portal we could talk about maybe, but that would be absolutely number one. If one of them, if, if neither of them are back, they need to find someone synonymous to that out there. Yeah, 100%. Um, and if one of them comes back, I still think you need another guard. Because you're you're losing some some players this this season just due to graduation, um, I think you need another backup big. I think you could bring in somebody who could be absolutely competitive with Filipina Che, and yeah. not to say like kind of a, like push her out, but give her some competition. Um, I think that's as good as Filipina is as a rebounder and as a defender. Um, there's a lot to lot of left to be desired on the offensive end, and I think having a big who can pass the ball, who can maybe shoot a little, but at least can convert um, easy layup opportunities is kind of a bread and butter to what Kelly Graves likes to do. Um, and I know, I know it's really t hard to just say, oh, look what Ruthie Heber did, but because she was just such a tremendous player and one of the, you know, one of the best players in program history. But, you know, she got a lot of easy opportunities on those teams. And Philly gets a lot of potential easy opportunities on those teams, on this team. And with her lack of just basketball experience, because she's only been playing for four or five years, right, Eric? I think it's four, four years. Yeah, it's four. Um, it's just, yeah, and it's, it's just harder for her. And that's fine. Um, she's a wonderful player. She's a wonderful person. Um, 
it just I think it would behoove Oregon to maybe bring in some competition. And the idea of having Philly as your backup center is sounds really great to me. But other than that, they need to add players like Taya Hansen and uh, Jenna Asai. They need to add yep. 5'10 to six one wings who could shoot and play defense. And I know that sounds wonderful, and there should be plenty of those, but those players don't grow on trees. And so Kelly Graves is going to really have to be active in the recruiting cycle. Um, I think you look for a player to line up alongside Chance Gray and Grace Van Sluten. I don't think you look for depth. I don't think you look for reserves here. I think you look for big-time players. I think you look for starters. Like day one, hey, like you've proven your success at X school. Uh, we want you to do it at Oregon now. So we're, we're recruiting you to start. We're recruiting you not going to guarantee a starting spot or anything like that. But, you know, if you, if you play the same as you did at your previous institution, you're going to be starting here for Oregon. So I think guards, at least one guard, at least a backup guard who can shoot. And then I'd give me multiple of the 5'10", the 6'1", 6'2", shoot small forward range, maybe a, a stretch four, a real stretch four that can hit the threes. And then, yeah, give you a, competable, or a, a, a competition center, someone who can – Maybe make make a make a swing at Philly. To, to me, the absolute number one, uh, assuming that they don't have to go find an India Tahina replacement, mm-hmm. is, is is what Jared talked about with those big wings. I think you know you look back at some of the rosters that were well, they're just the best teams that, that Kelly's had. They they had Satsu Sabli, and then they also had players off the bench like an Adi Gilda. I know she's not a perimeter player, but she was at least a, a, a bigger athlete who was kind of maybe physical and. They're just kind of lacking some of that physicality and size and length from the perimeter. And, and even last year, I got, there were a couple of players that they didn't use a ton, but um, Shania Pinto went to Penn State, Taylor Bigby, who was kind of recruited with this sort of a role in mind. Um, you know, Sophia Bell, by the way, we should know if anybody watched the McDonald's game, she definitely fits this bill. And I think a best case she world fits, is yeah, exactly. If she, she comes in as a, as a big 6-1, you know, perimeter player who who's a one of the better defenders nationally was her reputation coming in and a developing perimeter score. Maybe she comes in and she's off, you know, right off the bat, she's able to either start or, or play big minutes. That would be a great outcome. But to Jared's point, and I think they need to find a marquee player too. Um, sorry, yeah. you, you, go ahead, Jared. I was, I was just going to mention that Sammy Wagner is another girl who's listed at six foot one, uh, at least on her ESPN profile. So yeah, she could fit the bill as well, but and, and I, she's, I and she's been with, yeah, she's been she's been enrolled with the team, learning. So she'll have, a, I guess, a, a leg up on the competition when the other freshmen get here or the transfers get here. But I was going to continue on with what you were saying, which was, oh, the, just just talking about the big. They wins. need a, they need big wins. They need yeah. a they need a difference maker. They need a marquee yeah. player. Oh yeah, no, yeah, and that that part too is is absolutely, um, I think, a, a valuable point here. Um, you know, and and. Again, I think a big part of this offseason is going to be twofold, is what can you add in the portal? You have to find difference makers. And then another big part here is just player development. What mm-hmm. can you get from this younger group here? How much better can they get? A player like Grace Van Sluten, you think, man, gosh, if she can stay healthy, if she can get a little more explosive, she can develop a more consistent shot. Her free throw percentage started to improve at the end of the season, which was encouraging. She can get a little bit more quick afoot um, and be a little better defensively. Um, Filipina Che obviously has – pretty clear i mean she's an awesome rebounder that was the third best rebounding season in school history by the way which is kind of crazy um you know she averaged almost 11 rebounds a game 
offensively, she has a ton to work on. And I think I would imagine she is very well aware of that. She struggles with every part of the post basketball game of from catching the basketball to what to do when she catches it, to finishing it, to, um, you know, to, to her footwork and, and avoiding travels and, and, and post moves where she turns directly into somebody for a foul. So she has a lot to work on. There's also some really encouraging stuff. Like I think we both acknowledged in the past, we think really highly of her, but certainly they need more there. And I'm with Jared of like, if you can go find somebody in the portal, who's a step up and who's better, I think you go and do it as much as it's fun to kind of, you know, focus on this developmenting, you know, developmental player and somebody who, again, I think the ceiling could be really high. Not that you want to give up on her, but if you can, like, I think next year's a really big year. And, and, and I don't think you can do another developmental season. I don't think you can have another year where you miss on the big dance or, or even if you make it and you get ousted right away as a, as one of the few last teams in, like, I think the expectation needs to be that you're taking a big step here. Um, and we'll see if they can do that. And that's why I think the portal has got to be so important. But again, the first order of business is, is retaining some of these key players that again, these two guards kind of are pivotal with everything. So. Yeah. It, it all comes down to what the two guards do. Um, if they both come back and again, I think that is more of, you probably drop the need for landing another guard in the portal uh, because then you're going to have three guards and, you know, like we mentioned earlier in the podcast, just, you know, starting three guards who are all like under six feet is not, is not it. That, that's, that just can't be sustainable on both offense and defense, uh, maybe a little bit more on offense and defense, but, you know, then you move gray to the bench or, Maybe you think that Tahina is best suited in a bench role as a six a six girl. I can't. I don't know. Not a, not a six man, but sixth the, player. The, the first uh, sixth player, uh, the first player off the bench. Just because you know she she came out and publicly said like you know I got better when I got more reps. I got more uh, involved in the offense. Uh, I got the ball more just in general. So maybe she's better suited to be a sixth player and come be the first player off the bench. Um, and maybe you move her to the bench, you start Gray because it's a perimeter defense against or alongside Rodgers or whatever. But at that point, if both of them come back, you need to throw some wings out there, some six-foot-one wings who can shoot and play defense. Um, and, you know, hopefully that there's there's one in the portal who Kelly might have a connection with that can, can come and be an instant difference maker on this team because um, it's not only just about adding shooting and defensive abilities, it's about – adding a player who's going to help win ball games. And I know that those shooting and defense does help win, win games, but I think they need, I think they need more than just those two attributes. I think they need someone who's going to be able to put up 12 to 15 points a night. If, if, if Rogers or Pow Pow, if they have an off game or if Grace has an off game, like they're another option because that's what made uh, Oregon's team, Oregon teams in the past. So deadly is that someone has an off game. There's another person right there to step up and, and, put up some points so it's going to be going to be a very important off season for, sure for will be and company it sure will be and it'll be i mean the, the information will probably be fast and furious here it seems like once the ball gets mm -hmm. rolling and when somebody makes an announcement other decisions are made i think presumably india is the first shoe to drop and then whatever her decision does right. i won't say makes decisions for the players but it certainly provides more information and could inform them on what they might want to do we will have coverage of that mm -hmm. on Duck Territory, whatever she decides to do. We have coverage of who they add through the portal. Uh, we'll have coverage of, hey, if, if, if Endia and Tahina both leave, just do other players start kind of looking around? Is that, is that a domino effect start there? Um, I don't know. But, you know, players want to play on good teams. So 
you probably want to avoid that outcome if possible. But we'll kind of be following this. I'm not sure how much we'll talk about in the podcast unless there's just a crazy amount of news. And maybe once we get on the other side of spring football in April, maybe in May, would be a good time to, to start looking at kind of where things are at when some of the dust is settled. But regardless, thanks for this episode of the Ots and Audibles podcast. Eric Scopel, Jared Mack. Talk to you later, folks. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.